Well, are you ready yet? <laughs> no, I mean, are you ready for Christmas yet? I mean, you got 11 days, right? Did you realize, I mean, at LaGrange, do you realize you got 11 days to get this thing done, right? And in the next 11 days, you're going to deal with what I deal with, what we all deal with. You're going to deal with this unbelievable set of expectations. Now, if you're like me, uh, I'm the type of person I tried this year to do the most glorious thing in the planet. I tried to order everything online. Now, the only problem with that is you don't leave the store with it. So what do you do? You put all of your hope and your faith in a tracking number. All right? And, and inst- instead of praying for your relatives during the holidays, you're praying for a tracking number. Lord, would you please let 5951 arrive by the 24th? Uh, that's the world we live in, right? We live in, a, in an age where there's so much expectation in this season. It can kind of trap us up a little bit. In fact, it can bring us to a point where we almost get heartsick because the expectations are so high of the season. Now, we wrap expectations around Christmas in a different word. We call them traditions. Now, how many of you have a tradition that you have in your family? Raise your hand. Like, Sean, we have multiples, you know, in our house, okay? For those of you who say, we have no traditions, go to your grandma's house and move her Christmas tree or try to move it to another room, okay? And I'll come preach your funeral, all right? Because the truth is, we live with such high expectations, and we live with a lot of traditions. But what I don't realize is that expectations are the things that we put all of our hope in, whether they're things that we do in life or things that we work toward achieving. And expectations leave us in what I call a state of hurry up and wait. Have you ever been at the hurry up and wait stage of your life? It's like there's all these expectations, there's all these things that you've put your hope in, and then you get to the point where you're just kind of hurrying up and waiting, and in the middle of those expectations, suddenly your heart becomes sick. Why? Because you just hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. I mean, the Bible says this in Proverbs 13, 12. I love what the way the Scripture says it. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You see, one of the reasons that we struggle in the season of Christmas is we're living in a state of hurry up and wait. We're living in a state of hope that's been deferred because we are waiting for the 24th. We're waiting for all the Christmas traditions. We're waiting for a relative to arrive. Some of us this season, we're waiting to speak to someone we haven't spoken to all year. And it's got us freaked out. And so we're going to talk today in our season of Adventus about the idea of expectations. Because expectations go across all part of our lives, and they're really a part of the Advent season. Part of Advent is us getting our hearts set on expecting the arrival of Jesus. You know, in my lifetime, I've noticed that people have a different set of expectations for wherever they're at. For instance, if you go to a football game, the expectations are real, right? I've seen some of you at a football game. If you go to a concert, the expectations are real. On Christmas Eve at your home and at my home, the expectations are real. And we've got to deal with having the right expectations because here's the real problem. If we don't have the right expectations, 
we won't come to the right conclusions in our life. So if you have a pen, I want you to write a few things down. We're going to talk about expectations today as it relates to the coming of Jesus. You see, misplaced hope can lead to wrong expectations. We may not realize that about our life, but it can. What happens many times is we take hope or we put hope somewhere it should never be put. For some of us in this season, our expectation is is we're going to place all our hope in a person. Some of you have a person in your home. It could be your father. It could be your aunt. It could be a grandparent. And and, and the hope is, is that that person will live up to the expectations we have. So what do we do? We put our, our hope in a person or we put our hope in the circumstances of life. Hey, I'm expecting my company to give me a bonus this Christmas. I'm expecting the economy to turn around. I'm expecting the government to do this. I'm expecting the school to do that. And what happens is when we misplace our hope, it can lead to wrong expectations in our life. Here's why misplaced hope is so dangerous. Because we buy a present and think that that's going to be what brings us hope. Or for some of us, we take a pill and we think that's what's going to bring us hope. Or for some of us, We enter into a relationship and we give our love away to someone else thinking, man, if I can just love this person, then they'll love me back. And and if we're not careful, we will end up misplacing our hope and it can lead to a bad set of expectations in our life. But here's what I know is true. When we misplace our hope, what happens is we end up lowering our expectations. You see, some of us in this room, the reason we feel so jaded in our heart is because we've so misplaced our hope over the last year that we begin to lower our expectations in life and we no longer expect much. We start distrusting people. We don't feel like we have the capacity to fully give ourselves to anybody anymore. And you know what? That bleeds over into our relationship with God. God, I really don't want to give you everything because if, if, I, if I totally, you're, you're just going to let me down again. I mean, I have a friend who went through a disease this year. I had a friend who lost everything this year. I had a friend, and, and God, you didn't come through the way that I wanted you to, the way I expected you to. There's that word. And then suddenly, what do we do? We begin to lower our expectations in life. And let me tell you, lowered expectations can be dangerous. Because when you look at your life and you begin to lower them again and again and again, you find your heart in a place of recession. I like the way James Grant says it this way. He says, hope sustains life, but misplaced hope prolongs recessions. We begin to put all of our hope in the wrong things. I mean, think about it during this season. You put your hope in an experience, right? You're hoping that when the kids open the present, it's exactly what they want and the response that you expected from them. Like they're going to jump up and call you blessed and worship at your feet. You know, they're going to put a plaque in your house with your name on it. And so those expectations lead us to a place where suddenly we're like, whoa, maybe I put hope in the wrong place. And that's, that's difficult. You know, it's kind of like the guy, this is an old joke, and I think it's so funny. You heard about the guy who entered his donkey in the Kentucky Derby, right? 
Did y'all hear this story? This guy goes and enters his donkey in the Kentucky Derby. And he was going in, and they were like, bro, what are you doing, man? This is the Kentucky Derby. Like, this is the thoroughbreds. And the guy walks up. He said, hey, listen, I was just hoping that by entering him in the race and putting him in next to the thoroughbreds, it would improve his speed. Listen, that's misplaced hope. Okay? We do the same thing in life. We do it in our job. Sometimes we do it in our family. Sometimes we do it in relationship. But you got to be careful because misplaced hope can lead to wrong expectations. But not only that, wrong expectations can lead us to bad destinations. You see, some of us have come to a place in this year, and we look back and we go, how did I get here? Like, I started the year with a resolution, (laughs) and now I'm at the end of the year, and I'm like, there's no resolution left. There's no fight left. There's no dog left in the hunt anymore, right? And what happens is wrong expectations can lead us to bad destinations. It's kind of like this. How many of you have a GPS that you use in your car? All right, it talks to you. It says your favorite word, recalculating, okay? I I spend a lot of time U-turning and recalculating in my life, amen? The truth is, I, I read the most hilarious stories. I read stories this week of people who put bad coordinates in their GPS and where it ended them up. Okay, there was a lady in Maine who drove into a church, literally drove her car into a church because her GPS told her that's where the destination was. Now, God was trying to get her attention. I mean, God will draw people whatever it takes, right? But the truth is, we look at a GPS and we go, man, if I put this in right, this address, it's going to get me to the right place. But if you're like me, many times I put a bad coordinates in a GPS and I've ended up at the wrong place. Okay? I mean, I thought I was going to Starbucks and I ended up at a funeral home. I was like, where's the drive through Okay? Is that what that awning is? Okay. Wow, they got really neat delivery trucks. And, uh, you know, you're like, bad coordinates... It will take you to the wrong place. Listen, wrong expectations will lead you to bad destinations in your life. And God doesn't want us to go there. So this whole idea of expectation is important. The good thing about it is this. Right expectations will lead you to the right destinations in your life. I mean, that's kind of the flip side of it. But the key is this. The right hope. The right hope can bring greater anticipation and lead us to celebration. I want to talk about that for a second. The right hope. Hope placed in the right things. You see, part of life is learning to expect the right things and anticipate the right things and celebrate the right things. Whether you believe it or not, all of us have a well of hope in our life. And if we place that hope in the right things then exponential things happen in our life. I like the way the writer of Hebrews says it. He basically says that hope is a byproduct of faith. Look what he says. He says, now faith is being confident in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith is a byproduct of putting our hope in the right things. When we put our hope in God's word, God's going to increase our faith. When we put our faith in what God can do and not what man can do for us, Hope rises in our lives. So putting our hope in the right things is so, so important. But I also want to tell you this today. Sometimes hopelessness is not a bad place to find yourself. 
Say, what? We're talking about expectations. We're talking about hope. No, no, listen. Sometimes God has to get us to the end of ourselves so that we can get the right type of hope in our life. I was reading a book not too long ago by Dr. Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. If you've never read that book, you should read it. Whether you work in a company or you have a series of relationships you've gone through or whatever it is in your life. And and he talks about sometimes hope is born through hopelessness. Why? I think in my life it happens this way. I get to the end of myself and I quit trusting in myself and what I can do. And I realize that my hope has to be in the Lord. Not in all the things that I can do, but what God can do. What he can do. Real hope sometimes begins when our hopelessness ends. So today in the scripture, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Luke. Back to Luke, 20, uh, Luke chapter 1. We were there last week and we're talking about the favor of God. And the idea that God showed Mary favor and, and how exponential it was on her life because she believed God. Like she didn't just hear God's promise. Verse 38 of chapter 1 tells us that she actually said, let it happen according to your word, God. In other words, Lord, whatever flavor of your favor you want to give me, I'm in for because I trust you. And so she fully committed her heart to God. And so in Luke chapter 1, we move from the moment where she trusted God. And what happened? She sang a song. She sang a song. A few minutes ago, we sang that song, Hallelujah. What a beautiful song. But it's similar to the song that Mary wrote and that Mary sang. She sang a song and she glorified God and and she gave God praise. And then in the midst of that, Mary kind of revealed something to us that I think is noteworthy. You can go back and look at it. We're not going to talk about it today. But she began to talk about the world in which Jesus and John the Baptist would be born in. Now here's what's crazy. For many, many years, God had been silent. And at the end of all the prophecies and awaiting a coming Messiah, God speaks to Zechariah, he speaks to Elizabeth, and he speaks to Mary and says it's all about to change. In that gap of time, what happened in society was crazy. There was a lot of unrest in people's hearts, and here's why. They were living under the oppression of a Roman government. A Roman government that was so oppressive that literally you didn't have any rights. You didn't have any social justice. You didn't have anyone advocating for you. They were downtrodden. They were discouraged. They had no fight left. They couldn't fight the system. The system worked against them and they were suffering under a bad, bad government. And in the midst of that, there were these Jewish zealots who would go around and do these violent acts and and they would go and they would oppose Rome and and it would just kind of make things worse. And so sometimes we think when Mary heard this deal, like you're going to have a baby and it's going to be Jesus and the Messiah, it was just like, like another day. It wasn't. It was at the time when everyone's hope was lost and everyone's expectations had been lowered. And I want to say something about that today. You know, a lot of people ask me all the time, Sean, What's your two cents on what's happening in our society right now? I want to say this to you today. Listen, without Jesus, there is no social justice. 
And you can try to fix all the governmental systems you want, and you can try to change people's ways of thinking, and you can try to tell them, hey, you shouldn't hate this, and you shouldn't hate that, and we shouldn't be violent here. Listen, we sold 33 million copies of Grand Theft Auto to a generation last year. What do you expect them to do? But in the midst of that, when all hope is lost, Mary says, I glorify God because God is about to bring a whole new day. And it's not going to come in the change of a government. It's going to come when God shows up on the earth. And his name will be Jesus. So what does Mary do? She writes a song. And she goes and visits Elizabeth. The Bible says when she goes and visits Elizabeth that the moment that Mary walks in the door, John, who is in Elizabeth's tummy, leaps up because she knows. He knows what's going down. And we find ourselves at one of the most peculiar places in Scripture because I want you guys to know this. I've been a Christian now since I was 17. I have never heard anyone preach on the text I'm going to preach today. Okay? Now, how many of you growing up, you remember the little 45 records? Okay, I just remember them briefly, like I was like, I'm just, I do remember them, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm that old. But you remember the record, like one side had a hit, and the other side was called the what? The B-side, that's right, that's right. Listen, this is, I would call this one of those B-side scriptures, because it's, everyone talks about the song that Mary sang, and that Mary wrote, and that Mary had in her heart, but no one talks about what Zechariah sang and the prophecy that he gave. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn over to, to Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 67. Because here's basically what we need to understand today. Mary had expectations of what the birth of Jesus would bring to all people. And her expectations caused her to celebrate and sing and anticipate. Listen, guys, when we get to a point in our life where we've placed so much hope in the wrong things, we will lose our joy and our expectation of celebration. This should be our season. This should be our season. Nobody ought to party like the Christ followers. We ought to have the biggest throwdown. I mean, when you throw a, a party at your business or at your house, I mean... They ought to call the cops, not because it's cray-cray, but because the celebration is so eruption-like. You know, like people are like, wow, they're loud. Why? Because they know what has happened. And that's what happened here. And so in the midst of that, John is born. John the Baptist comes onto the scene. And his father, Zechariah, for the first time, because remember, he was shut up. He couldn't say anything. We noted that the moment the prophecy was given, he didn't believe the angel, so the angel just cut out his speech. And so for nine months, listen, what would you say, what would be your first words if for nine months you couldn't say one word? You ever thought about that? Some of you women, you would explode, okay? You're like, not, I can't go nine minutes, Sean, okay? Just try, just try, go seven, okay? Work your way up. It's a stair-stepping process. All right? But the truth is this. For nine months, he'd been silent. And so in the midst of that, in verse 67, we read this scripture. Look what it says here. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, 
the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. First words. I mean, think of first words landing on the moon. What do you say? Hey, this place is cool. (laughs) But here's what he said. Jesus would open the prison door. Jesus would open the prison door. That's what he said. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. What does it mean Jesus would open the prison door? Jesus was coming to the earth. God was coming to the earth to buy back, to purchase back his people. Now, here's what's crazy about that. We don't understand the word redeemed in our culture because we don't understand what it means to be bought back. But here's basically what it means. You and I, from the time that we were ever thought about on this earth, we were born into a life of sin. A payment that we could never pay. Why? Because Adam and Eve. Stupid Adam and Eve, okay? And the truth is, we couldn't buy ourselves back. And we were found in a place that apart from Jesus coming to the earth, there would be no redemption. But the Bible says when Zechariah opened his mouth, the first thing he praised God for was this, is that Jesus would open the prison door. He would come to buy us back. You see, some of us act like in life when it comes to our faith that we've been regifted. Listen, Jesus didn't come to regift you. He came to redeem you. And there's a difference. He bought you back. He didn't care what the price was. It would be like you walking up to the person you're behind in Walmart and the ladies rung up one of the, you've seen one of those tallies that, you know, it literally goes over the machine. They got to put new stuff in the machine because you bought so much stuff. You know, I mean, the, the cash register saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, okay? Someone walks up behind you and pulls out a credit card and said, here, let me, let me buy that for you. That's what Jesus did. He came to open the prison door and to redeem his people. One of the reasons we ought to have the greatest expectation in the world is because Jesus came to open the prison door. He bought us back. He bought us back. But not only that, Zechariah says that Jesus will win the battle. Listen to what he says here. Look at the scripture. He tells us this. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, here's the funny thing. We don't understand the word horn in Scripture, but anytime you see in Scripture that it talks about raising up a horn, it's basically the story of an army that's found itself totally captive, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes in, and they raise up a horn. They blow the horn that says, listen, we're about to take you out because we're about to win this battle. That's what Jesus did. He came to win the battle. He didn't just come to open the door. He didn't come to just buy us back. He didn't come to swipe the card and say, I will redeem this people. He came to announce to the world, I'm going to win this battle. It says he raised up a horn of salvation for us and the house of our servant David. It symbolized power and victory. It's kind of like this. Have you ever seen that moment in a football game? If They call it when the momentum shifts. And there's one play that changes the whole trajectory of a game. It's that one moment in history when God says God raised up a horn and pronounced it to the world, and he blew that horn to say, I'm going to win this battle. You see, one of the reasons our expectations ought to be different is because Jesus would win the battle. 
He's telling us in advance. Not only that, he would deliver us. Because that whole idea of salvation is the same word that we get delivered. I mean, think about it. Think how much faith we put in a delivery person at our house. You ever thought about that? Hey, listen, I'm going to buy a high-dollar item, and I'm expecting you for $2.50 shipping to make sure that it gets to my Christmas tree. (laughs) I mean, I have a sister who works for UPS, and she's worked for them for almost 20 years. And so every now and then I will call her and I'll say, okay, tell me some funny stories. Like, tell me things that people ship that you, you know. And she's told me some stories about stuff that people have shipped that they probably didn't know that she knew that they shipped. And I'm like, wow, like people are weird. People are really weird. But the truth is this. Jesus didn't come to deliver a package. He came to deliver a people. Jesus would win the battle. Not only that, number three, Jesus would cancel the debt. In verse 76, he goes back and refers back to his son John, and he says this. Look what he says, and he says, And you, my child, talking about his son, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for his people. We knew that was John's mission here. To give his people the knowledge, now this is cool, of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. In other words, Jesus came to cancel the debt. He was coming to cancel it. Jesus came to make sure the charges got dropped. That ought to raise our expectation a little bit. In this season of everyone's traditions and everyone's expectations on my life, it's really not about that. It's about what God brought to the table. Jesus came to cancel the debt, but I think this is probably the the biggest one. Jesus came to bring a new day. Jesus, in his coming, would come to bring a new day. In verse 78, he says this. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. You know, in the Bible, in the Bible, They call Jesus the day spring. He was the one thing that would come to this earth that would be the game changer. And what's funny is I want to remind you, they were so caught up in all the oppression of a bad government, so caught up in a world that was so mixed up about why God was silent, awaiting a Messiah When Zechariah said these words, think about it. He looked past his own son, John, and he saw something that caused his expectations to go through the roof. Can I tell you, you and I, why we struggle so much in this season? Because we have our expectations all mixed up. I know I do. I I get caught up on it. I mean, I I, I went out shopping for a few minutes last night. I did one of those uh, dive and score moments as a man. I got in the car and I told Tracy, I said, there's one last gift. I got to go on. I mean, I literally, like, I was crawling through the floors of Best Buy saying, Jesus, please let it be on aisle seven. Okay. I mean, and some of you, you know, you were out there too. I mean, you know. I mean, if only shopping was like really walking around with a hot latte and your children going, children, isn't this the greatest? I mean, you're not, you know. Your kids are like, listen, if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're not getting anything. Take those presents back. You know, my parents used to threaten that, and I'd say, listen, take back the seven, but don't take back that eighth present, because that eighth one's going to be really good. Jesus was known as the day spring. 
And here's what he was saying. When his coming was pronounced, when this side of the record was played and Zechariah prophesied it, he said he's coming and he's going to bring us a whole new dawn. It was the expectation of a whole new life. See, that's hope. And that's hope that's not misplaced. That's hope that's properly placed. And when you properly place hope where it should be, there begins to be the sense in you of anticipation, right? I mean, when you know it's coming, right, something in you begins to well up. And when anticipation grows, you get ready. Why? Because celebration's next. I mean, I've been a a believer since I was 17. So one of the the craziest things I I felt very early on was, why do people check out at Christmas time? It's like I can be a Christian all throughout the year, but at Christmas time, they just kind of check out and they check out, their hearts check out. And one of the things I love about our church is your heart doesn't check out. I mean, it's like you guys, you just kind of, you're like, yes, this is our moment, man. I mean, we get to tell the world about a new dawn. We get to tell the world about a new hope. But I think sometimes what we need to do is we need to remember why this is so important to us. And here's why. Number one, hope is found when you know what to expect. Hope is found when you know what to expect. Zechariah was prophesying this because this is what he expected God to do. And his hope was found because he knew what to expect. You see, God's word is true and his promises are true. We talked about it last week when God says it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when he's going to fulfill it. You know, even the prophet Jeremiah, when, when, when he was trying to get this word from the Lord about what his life was supposed to be, he tells us in Jeremiah 1.12, look at this. It says, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. God's going to fulfill the order. Why? Because it's his word. And our expectations should grow and our hope should be found in the fact that we know what to expect. It's already happening. I mean, I think this is one of the greatest ones. Our vantage point alone ought to give us greatest reason to celebrate. You ever thought about that? 2,000 years later. Zechariah said this. He had no idea. He only saw it in a prophecy. You and I, we get to see it 2,000 years later. We get to see not only everything that he said. Jesus won the battle. He opened the door. He conquered. He, he raised the horn. He, he said it all and it happened. And then he went to a cross and then he died. And then he was risen from the grave three days later and he ascended to be with the Father. And you and I are looking at the vantage point that Zechariah didn't even get to see. Listen, if you thought his expectations are high, ours ought to be 10 times higher. Why? Because our vantage point gives us greater reason to celebrate. So I want to illustrate this for you guys before we close today. Because here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced the world has stolen our celebration. I mean, y'all remember being in high school, right? You remember when you play a big rival? And the one thing you didn't want is you didn't want your rival across the field to do what? Cheer louder than you. I mean, don't act like you guys don't know what I'm talking about. I've been to the noon and EC game. I mean, some of you are like, Aah! ripping your shirt open. You got a principal painted on your chest. You got your principal's face like, yeah, look at our principal. You know, 
He's sitting right over here. Uh, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out there. I mean, your expectations are crazy, but here's what we do. We know all this is true. God says, listen, this is what Zechariah expected. This is a song maybe that nobody's heard that you need to start singing. You need to raise your expectation because your celebration is tied to your expectation. And you need to get your anticipation back. So what do we do? We let the world steal that away from us. Man, I want to challenge you. I want to show you a hilarious video real quick, okay? Yeah. Y'all ever seen that moment on Oprah? When she does Oprah's favorite things. And she comes out and she says, Okay, like I was going to talk about this, but today I'm going to give away millions of dollars worth of stuff. And she, you know, goes crazy. You ever watch the expectation on people's faces? Watch this. because it looks like a couple of y'all might need a medic or two. Even more. You're all going home with arm lock. Hello. I saw these and loved them so much when I saw them. Yes. Now you know what it's like to stand up here and preach every Sunday. I look out at you, and that's the type of anticipation I see on your face. I mean, the person who does this when I open the scripture, thank you, man. That really encourages me. All right? Yeah. And then that last view. (laughs) Hope is found when you know what to expect. (laughs) here's why I showed that to you today. That's the anticipation we ought to have as believers. Think of the vantage point we have. I mean, our whole Adventist this year has been about celebrating. I told our staff, I really felt like this might be the keystone message in the whole series. Because here's what we've done. We've allowed the world and misplaced hope to move our expectations down the ladder. The truth is, God wants us to expect great things. And let me tell you why. God came to this earth. I mean, he just didn't create it. He just didn't speak it into existence and being. Like he showed up on the scene. And next week, we're going to talk about 
that whole deal, which is awesome. But I just want to tell you guys, listen, we need to let the world quit robbing us of the expectancy we should have in our faith. I mean, I know that's funny and we can look at it and stuff, but I tell you what, I think it's sad that we as the church, man, we need to celebrate more. We need to place our hope in the right things. And hope is found in a person and his name is Jesus. It's not found in you and me. I mean, we're flawed. We're sinners. We can't do this thing. But you know what? He did it. He came and he lived and he died. And, 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 and God came to this earth so that you and I could not lower our expectations, but so that we could raise our expectations and the world would see the anticipation of our heart of celebrating one of the greatest days in all of the world, not because it's December 25th, but because we're, we're celebrating the fact that God came to the earth. Would you pray with me today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Man, I'm just so thankful today that when I look at this passage, I'm reminded of everything that Jesus came to do. And I want to tell you today, whether you're here at our Newton campus or at our LaGrange campus, one of the greatest things Jesus came to do is he came to redeem you. He came to buy you back. You couldn't afford the price. You didn't have the credit left on your car. But the Bible says God sent his son and he put him in a manger. And during this season, one of the things we celebrate is that God gave us a redeemer. And we expect the second return of that redeemer. Jesus is coming back. I mean, the story's not ended. Like we're, we're down to the last chapter. And if you're here today, one of our campuses, you're here because God wanted you to be here. He brought you here. You may have been invited by a friend Maybe you saw a bumper sticker. Maybe you you saw someone's t-shirt and said, man, I want to go to that church. Listen, you're here today because God wants you to know something. He sent his only son to redeem you, to buy you back. You couldn't afford the price. You couldn't pay the bill. You couldn't get it out of layaway. He came to buy you back. And today, the way he wants to buy you back is through salvation. It's through you opening up your heart. It's by you giving him your life and saying, Jesus, I completely place all my faith and all my trust in you. With our heads bowed today and our eyes closed, I want to ask you today, if you've never made that decision, would you pray this prayer with me? Just say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for living your life and dying on a cross for my sin. Jesus, I thank you that you rose again. And Jesus, today, I place all my faith and all my trust in you, Jesus. Would you come into my life, forgive my sin, and be my Lord and be my Savior. Jesus, I give you my life today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to tell you that today, if you made that decision, that is the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. There will never be a greater opportunity than in this season to tell other people what happened in your life today. 
I mean, it would be great tomorrow if you went to work or you went to school and said, hey, listen, I know this sounds weird and like we're celebrating Christmas and everyone's focused on all these other things and the traditions and but but something happened in my life. I mean, that's what happened to me. I, I gave my life to Christ on the side of my bed and I went to my school the next day and started telling my friends something happened to me. I want to encourage you to tell somebody, hey, listen, I made a decision to give my life to Christ and I'm fully trusting him, not only for salvation, but for my life. There's another group here today. And as we close, I I want you to hear this. We need to raise our expectations, not of other people, not of shopping stores or customer service or whatever else it is in life that we think people ought to do better in. We need to raise our expectations because we have a vantage point of what God has already done. And we need to put our eyes on the right thing because if we place our hope on the right things, it will lead us to the right places God wants us to be at in our life. Father, I pray in Jesus' name over families, over moms, dads, grandparents. Lord, I know in this season it gets so busy. And there's so much that can vie for our affection. God, we ought to have greater expectancy than those on that video. Lord, that, some of them don't even know what they're getting. They just think that they're going to get something awesome. Lord, we know what we're getting. That you came to this earth. You were wrapped in a manger. That you lived and you died and you rose again and you ascended to the Father. And Lord, now our expectation is you're coming back. And you're going to take us home. And so, Father, I pray for our church today. I pray that this would overflow into how we love those that you put into our life, those that you've given us to influence in our life. I pray that it would overflow to how we want to connect to people, how we want to serve Jesus, how we want to give, Lord, every area of our life. I pray that we will not lower our expectations, but I pray that that we will raise our expectations because we know, we know what you've done. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.